the characteristics of a church which God could use to change the world. And uh, we've talked about dreams a moment ago, big dreams, changing the world, that's God's plan. It's a big dream. What kind of church does God use to change the world? A church, as we said last week, characterised by faith, hope and love expressed in conduct. We drew that out from the passage from 1 Thessalonians that we looked at last week, chapter 1. A people who have been chosen by God and people who are imitators of Christ. Today, I'd like to sharpen the focus a little bit and ask the question, uh, what are the characteristics of a Christian minister who God would use to change the world? Now, before you start thinking like the Epsom Community Church about the person who's up the front, just be reminded that God calls all of us to be ministers, right? It's not something that you can handball to the paid professionals. Matt and I are very blessed in so much as we are able to be released by you generously to apply ourselves to the role uh, in a full-time capacity. But God calls all of us into that space. And so as we think about this passage, uh, I want to think about what does it mean for all of us to be indwelt by the Spirit to be able to fulfil the call that God has to be his agents in the world, to transform the world that we are part of. Our reference this morning, as you're aware already, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and our model that we're going to look at as a Christian minister is Paul. Now again, there might be some resistance in this space, thinking, oh Paul, how could we ever be like Paul? How could I ever be a person like the Apostle Paul? There's too much in my past, you know, there's too much baggage back there. Well, think about Paul's life for a second. Boy, there's a guy who carried some baggage. He had enough baggage to fill a B-double truck. You know, stuff from the past that he looked back on uh, and said, gosh, you know, what was going on back here and yet God used him. God can't use me though because I have uh, some, you know, some health issues or whatever. What about the Apostle Paul? constantly spoke about this thorn in the flesh something that kept him humble and so uh, there are some mistakes that we might think if we can't learn something from the apostle paul i'm going to suggest to you there are three things that we see in 1 thessalonians chapter 2 that we might draw out from his model of ministry that we can apply in fact that we must apply if we're going to be effective in god's hands Let me throw them up on the screen. Uh, Here they are. Clear priorities. We'll unpack each of these uh, in a moment. Obvious integrity. There's a threatening one. And the third one there is genuine love. None of these things will be a surprise. All of them are critical. Many of them we have spoken of in other contexts before, but we revisit them here today. So let's talk about clear priorities to start with. Just um, over this last few weeks, for whatever reason, I was sharing with um, some friends of the experience of coming back to Australia, having been overseas for some time and being confronted by supermarket shelves. Those of you who've travelled into a third world country perhaps will be familiar with what I'm saying. Isn't there just an amazing abundance that we have? Not only do we have supermarket shelves that are filled to the capacity with all sorts of stuff? We have multiple supermarkets. 
You know, if I leave from here, I can go this way and I'll run into a supermarket, I can go to another one over there, I can go to another one over here. There's all sorts of options that we have. And the challenge sometimes in that space, and this certainly I found quite challenging um, having been away from it for a time, is to look at a shelf filled with products and, and address the question, how do I choose? How do you choose, for example, a bottle of olive oil? If your husband or your wife or your mother or somebody said to you, can you go and get me some olive oil? That seems like a simple task, doesn't it? Until you get to the supermarket. And then you've got all the variety in the world. There's first press, there's virgin, there's extra virgin, there's super extra virgin, there's super duper extra super virgin olive oil. And it's kind of like, whoa. And then there's plain label and then there's fancy label. There's stuff that comes from Italy and there's stuff that comes from Barnawatha and there's stuff that comes from all... How do you choose in that space? And we might laugh about that, but it's not all that easy, is it? What about choosing a car? <laughs> You know, some people, will, and I've heard this said, I just choose the colour I like. <laughs> we went through this process just over a year ago and, uh, and I started looking online and I made up a spreadsheet and on my spreadsheet I had things like what is the tyre size, what are the dimensions, what is the fuel economy, the stated fuel economy, how many seats, what is the towing capacity, uh, does it have a tow bar? I, I had a spreadsheet with all sorts of stuff. What is the fuel tank capacity, which is really helpful because you don't want to sort of drive from here to Chiltern and back and have to fill up. All of that stuff, it, it, to the point where I looked at all of these options and in the end I said, you know what, I can't make a decision. Which colour do I like? <laughs> <laughs> How do you go about choosing your olive oil or your car? It all comes down to priorities, doesn't it? What is your priority? Are you going to buy the cheapest one? Are you going to buy the oil that looks nicest in the bottle? Uh, your car, might you might have the priority of the most economical, the best towing capacity, the highest safety rating, whatever it might be. But as we come to think about uh, Paul and his priorities in ministry, he states some of them quite clearly here in Thessalonians as well as in other spots. Here's something that comes from Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. His highest priority is expressed here. His highest priority was to serve God faithfully. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, he said, We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. This is something that obviously sat very much at the forefront of Paul's thinking because he said the same in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Who am I now trying to please, God or man? And Paul recognised the subtle temptation that there is in service, in ministry, in anything that we do for God, that it, uh, it, it can sometimes come with some nice kickbacks for us. You know, the accolades, the praise, the thanks. You know, it's kind of nice to get that stuff. And it's very, very easy to suddenly have our focus away from serving God, which sometimes involves saying some hard things or doing some hard things, and the focus is focused uh, more uh, sharply on serving people and doing things that are going to please people. 
Paul was absolutely clear that it was God who had called him and it was therefore God who he owed his allegiance to and God who he sought to please. The same dynamic we can see here in 1 Corinthians when he wrote to the church in Corinth. When I came to you, he said, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, Paul's focus was razor sharp. In his ministry to the Corinthian church, he was not distracted by the other stuff. I resolved to know nothing but this, the centrality of the gospel. I came to you in weakness. There we go, we talked about that a moment ago. With great fear and trembling, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You notice how Paul's continually shifting the focus away from himself. I didn't come with fancy words I didn't come with great eloquence I didn't come with great oration that was very very valued in the ancient world a good speaker would gather around them people who would just be their disciples and Paul made it very clear that's not what it's about the focus is not me the focus is on Christ and so there was a clear priority in that space and this explains I think why it was that Paul was able to continue to minister even in the face of severe persecution and trial. We know, don't we, from our own experience, if we're focused on achieving a particular outcome, if we prioritise something, other things will fall away. So, for example, if uh, I decided in a moment of um, uh, curious reflection to become fitter than I am, I decide that tomorrow morning I'm going to get up at 6 o'clock. It's still dark. It's very cold at 6 o'clock in the morning. uh, And I'm going to go and uh, do some exercise, maybe at the gym, uh, whatever. Uh, I'm going to set a new pattern. I'm going to say no to the cake at morning tea. Are we having cake for morning tea tomorrow? No, we don't generally anyway, but... Let's just say there was the opportunity to have... I'm going to say no, I'm going to eat a light lunch, I'm going to go for a walk after work, I'm going to avoid eating between meals and by bedtime I'll be thoroughly miserable. But that's my priority. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that will actually determine whether I stick with that routine is, is it actually a priority or not? And though I might make light about priorities around fitness... How we set priorities in our walk with God actually determines how effective we are in his service. And thinking about this topic actually invites us to ask some really, really deep questions. Really deep questions. Questions like this, what am I really doing with my life at the moment? What am I really investing my time into? What am I really putting my emphasis on? What do I really value and how do I set my priorities And is Jesus actually the one I'm serving or am I trying to serve two masters? There's a subtle temptation to do that in in the space of service, to give lip service, a type of service to Jesus and just kind of make sure the rest of my life is managed by myself. Clear priorities. The second quality that we see here in Paul is that of integrity. I've alluded to this a little bit already and for those of you who read the newsletter you'll recall I wrote about this too because in the ancient world there were a number of people travelling around who made their bucks 
by being good speakers, by being, uh, let's just say, uh, amateur philosophers. Well, they weren't amateurs, they got money for it. People who were good at gathering a crowd and, and offering sometimes what seemed to be very appealing arguments and they'd roll into a town and they'd speak and people would give them praise and glorify them. They were the rock stars of the ancient world. Remember, they didn't have Netflix and YouTube and all that sort of stuff. There's got to be something to entertain you and these were the people that did it. They'd come in and they'd talk and they'd convince people of all sorts of stuff. Funnily enough, there were oftentimes in the ancient writings a recognition that by and large they were charlatans. They were recognised as people who would come in and take, uh, take advantage of, of people who would come in and with their smooth talk gather around them a number of people who would become their followers, who would support them, who would provide money for them, who would meet their needs. And it's curious, isn't it, that there's at once this recognition that this happened and it was common and at the same time people who were drawn in by it, people who love to have their ears tickled by it. It's not that dissimilar nowadays, isn't it? People get drawn in to all sorts of strange, strange kinds of things. The goal of these people were to gather as many adherents as they could and, and gather as much silver as they could. And perhaps because of this widespread concern and this negative impression that these travelling speakers left, Paul wanted to actually distance himself from them because it would have been very easy for people to say, ah, oh, Paul, he's just another one of those people. You know, he just blows in and he talks and he gets a few people and, the, and, and he's just like the rest of them. Paul actually wants to distance himself from them. In verse 5, for example, Paul said to the Thess Thessalonians, it's hard to say that, uh, you know we never used flattery, one of the typical strategies that was used by these travelling uh, speakers. You know, you are the most wonderful uh, wonderful people. I'll tell you a quick story. I, let me not get too distracted with my stories though. Um, on one occasion, after a night service um, some years ago, a person came in and, and said, oh, you know, David, this is, the, this is the best church, this is the only church really preaching the gospel in this city and you'd have to be probably the leader amongst the pastors. And it would have been so easy to go, oh, wow, you know, thank you for that. Hmm. But it was flattery. And flattery always comes with a subtle kind of a hook, a, an attempt to gain power, an attempt to, an attempt to gain some kind of leverage. And there were yellow lights flashing everywhere for me in that moment because I knew that's exactly what it was. Paul says, I never came in. We did not use flattery. We did not put on a mask to cover up our greed. We didn't say, oh no, we don't need your support. Give us the money. We don't need your help. Thank you for that gift. Paul didn't do any of those kinds of things and he wants to make it very clear in here that he was not that kind of person. There was integrity in the way that he went about his ministry. The Thessalonians would have experienced these things with others. Nor, Paul says, um, if you come to verse 6 and 7, a burden to you, we didn't exercise, <coughs> we didn't try to bully you, we didn't use our authority we didn't uh, try to manipulate you in any way. In fact, if you come to uh, chapter 2, verse 10 to 12, Paul calls the church as a witness to the character that they displayed, a character that was consistent with their message. 
And I talked about this briefly last week. The fact is that we can't uh, uh, preach good news and be bad news at the same time. Our character needs to be consistent with our message. Paul speaks about this. Our lives were characterised by holiness, righteousness and blamelessness. He talks in verse 7 about caring for you like a mother caring for her little children. Then if you jump down to verse 11, we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his children. That's an interesting contrast in metaphors, isn't it? A mother who nurtured you and loved you and cared for you. A father. In the ancient world, you know, one of the roles of the father was actually to teach morals, to teach morality, to teach ethics. And it's curious, just as a little aside, that from the very earliest days of the church, which is reflected here in this letter from Paul to the Thessalonians, there was a concern for morality. There was a concern for uprightness in terms of moral behaviour. It's not a secondary add-on thing. It comes right here at the very start. We should not overlook that. A friend of mine in ministry was saying to me recently how uh, the revelations that surfaced a year or so ago of a well-known Christian, a very public Christian minister, rocked his world. My friend Phil said to me, you know, I used to follow this guy, I listened to this guy, I learnt from this guy. And then all of this came out. I had a crisis of faith, he said. And when people we look up to fail, the devastation can be enormous. The consequences of a lack of integrity hardly need to be spelled out. But there are some things about integrity worth saying. Uh, Here's the first one. Integrity doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. It's suggested that there are three uh, elements that need to be present for a person to walk with integrity. First, there needs to be the ability to discern right from wrong. We've been given the word of God to do that. We're surrounded by others who help us to do that. The ability to discern the right from the wrong. Second, and this is where the rubber hits the road, the, uh, the willingness to... Uh, fearlessly act on what you have discerned even when it comes at a cost because integrity almost inevitably comes at a cost you think about that for a moment what does it mean to be a person of integrity in relationships with others in the way you handle money in the area of sex and sexuality it comes at a cost because the world says why you just do whatever feels good in that space it can be inconvenient to act with integrity. It might make things more difficult, it might cost you money, it might cost you time, it might cost you energy and the temptation to compromise can be great. So the ability to discern what is right and wrong, the willingness to act fearlessly and third, and you might not have thought about this, uh, the willingness to say that you're acting with integrity. Now this is not about blowing your own trumpet, This is not about saying to people, look at me, I'm acting with integrity. It's actually giving other people permission to keep you accountable. If you are acting in in a space where you want to exercise integrity, uh, you're doing it and you're saying that you're doing it, it's it's a willingness to be transparent. It's an opportunity for other people to say, hey, look, yes, I can see that. Or perhaps to challenge you if, uh, if it needs to be challenged. Integrity doesn't come easily, it doesn't happen by accident, it has to be lived out consistently and this is perhaps where we stumble because we run into that dreaded D word, the word discipline. 
because being a person of integrity requires discipline, doesn't it? Self-discipline. It's easier to talk a good game than it is to walk a good game. And so perhaps before we move on, one of the questions or some of the questions we might even throw out into this space is this, uh, along these lines, you know, where are those areas that you are challenged personally in this? Where are those areas in your life where integrity actually is perhaps being compromised or where you need to sharpen up, you need to tighten up, you need to work hard on? Where are those places that God might be just touching you even right now as we're talking about this and saying, you know what, there's a, there's a place here that just needs to come under the authority of God's Spirit. Is it conversations in the workplace? Is it letting your yes be yes and your no be no, being a person of integrity in terms of what you say and do? Is it in your thought life? Is it in how you spend time in front of screens? Integrity is all about who you are when no one's watching you. Clear priorities, integrity is the second thing Paul talks about. The third is uh, how Paul loves people, how Paul loved people. I have, uh, have to say this is an area of challenge for us all but I did have quite an epiphany moment a few years ago. I was sitting down one day uh, doing some training together with some other pastors, another one who, whose name happened to be David which I'm kind of reluctant to say because I talk about other Davids so often. The other guy's name was Phil, by the way, so it wasn't a David. I was talking to David, let's get on. Um, and he said he was, he was wrestling with his um, relationship with his eldest son, who was about 15, I think. And David was saying, you know, I'm, this boy is just exercising me. He's doing all of the things that we told him not to do. He's kicking against the traces, so to speak. You know, all of the stuff we said, don't go down that road. He's saying, I'm going to try it and see, to see whether you're right. And most recently, just a few weeks ago, um, it was my birthday. And you know what? The little blighter didn't even ring up and say, happy birthday. And David, you could see that it had upset him. And he said, you know, in this space, I... I I have to put words into his mouth, I can't remember verbatim what he said, but it went along these lines. Um, all these years that I've invested into him, all the things that I've done, all the money that I've spent, I tucked him into bed when he's little, we changed his nappy, we poked food into his mouth, we did all of that stuff, and this is how he returns it. Doesn't even ring me on my birthday. And, and then David said something which is really, really helpful. He said, then I realised something important. If my love as a father is conditional upon him giving back to me, I have a problem. Because as a parent, my love for my son needs to be unconditional. And though I don't like his behaviour, they don't like the way that he's treated me, and we will address that, and they did, I can't put strings in place that will hold him in that sort of spot. I can't assume that he will return to me in the way that I've given to him. As a parent, I need to love unconditionally. I remember sitting there listening to David and it was like uh, a rock fell on me from heaven because I realised that so often, in terms of even the way I go about ministry, um, I was doing it conditionally. Think about that. We're called by God to love unconditionally. 
it hit me like a rock because I realised one of the subtle temptations that I face and we all face is to love people for what we can get in return. It's actually nice to be needed by other people. It's nice to get something back. It's nice to be liked. It's nice to bask in the limelight that others throw in our direction. It's nice to gain some personal benefit. It's nice to get something out of it. I remember another story, another Phil actually, a young guy, <laughs> just to prove that I know other people apart from David. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to Phil's parents one time and, and Phil's parents said, you won't believe what happened to Phil. I said, I believe anything could happen to Phil because Phil was just one of these guys that loved people, you know. He was a young fellow. He just, he just talked to anyone. He talked to anyone, anytime. He befriended an elderly lady down the street. He must have just gone down there and talked to her and become close friends. Without realising it, Phil had become, at 15 years of age, executor of her estate. <laughs> he wasn't qualified to do that. She'd sort of made him do that. He never asked to do that. And so, subsequently to that, Phil's parents went to this person, the elderly lady, and he said, look, this is probably not really appropriate. Realised, out of their Christian generosity, that she was in a bit of trouble, lived alone, uh, isolated, just helped her out, did a few things, monographs, that sort of stuff, looked after her. She passed away and to their absolute surprise, she left them everything. You know, my question in that space was not, isn't it wonderful? What a wonderful demonstration of unconditional Christian love. My question was, where could I find an old lady like that? <laughs> <laughs> and by saying that, I exposed something that is true in all of us, true? No, we love others often with a view to what we can get. And I realised just how insidious that really is. Three months or so into, uh, into uh, being a pastor, I was visiting, <laughs> I was visiting an elderly lady. <laughs> I'm not sure whether I should tell this story or not. Uh, no, it's all right, Diana, where's Diana? She always worries when I say that. Um, this story's fine. Um, I, was visiting, I was visiting with... The, she was recently deceased, um, so I was just finding her way back uh, in the world. And, uh, and she noticed as I was visiting that I was not wearing a watch. <laughs> okay. I have visited a few people who've been recently deceased. <laughs> Uh, but this, sorry about that, this person was very much alive. Her husband <laughs> was recently deceased. This widow was finding her way back in the world. Are we all concentrating again? <laughs> Just thinking I might check here. Um, we sat down and we talked. Um, she was in the process of uh, disposing some of husband's personal effects, she noticed that I didn't wear a watch um, and I wasn't and I haven't for a long time. Uh, the watch I had was a very nice watch but I accidentally cooked it which is another story for another day um, and, and this person said, look, my, you know, my husband's got this lovely watch, would you like it? And I was very conscious of the story of Phil and I was very conscious of the Baptist Union Code of Ethics which talks about receiving gifts from congregation members and I said to this person, that is a very generous offer and I appreciate the sentiment that sits behind it but I'm going to decline, thank you so much. But it's so subtle, 
And that's not a great illustration, but it's so subtle when we serve others that we hope to get something in return. And I realised when I was talking to David just how insidious this actually is. Because I realised that um, not only is there a great temptation to this, but there's also a lot of pain sometimes in this space as well. Because the people that we love sometimes do things that hurt us. The people that we serve in our neighbourhood or in our community or in our family or in our church do things that bring us pain. You know, those people that I sat with when uh, they lost their first baby, I prayed with them, I worked through a mental health crisis with them, I went and visited them in odd hours and then they just up and went to another church. What are they doing? How dare they? Unconditional love? Mmm, challenging. And yet we see here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul's unconditional love of the church, treating them, as we said a few moments ago there in verse 7, we were gentle like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel but our lives as well. In other words, we made ourselves vulnerable before you. We made ourselves transparent before you. We lived amongst you. There was an expression that um, a fellow from the Baptist Union came and visited while we were working overseas and I kind of chaperoned him around the student body and he, he said to me, there's something I need to understand. Um, you know, they talk about the connection that they have with you as their teacher, um, but it's more than that. One of them said to me, um, David has slept with us and I just want some clarity in that space. <laughs> and I said to Darren, you've got to understand, that's, uh, that's the way in that culture of saying this person has been in our homes, has eaten at our fires, has been with us, has lived with us, has been transparent with us, has been vulnerable before us, he slept with us, he's been on the grass with us kind of thing. And here in this passage from 1 Thessalonians we see Paul saying exactly the same thing, we have lived our lives with you because you became dear to us. It's quite a moment of self-realisation, let me tell you, when I realised just how many strings I was actually applying even in the work that I do, you know, doing things for people, serving them, ministering to them in the expectation that I'd get something back. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way the Spirit's going to use us to transform the world. Got to let go of that stuff and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And as we come to communion this morning, as we're about to do, we are reminded once again of that expressive, wonderful love of Christ, which in some senses is an unconditional love. Not unconditional in the sense that Jesus is going to save everyone in the whole world, no matter what, we understand that uh, we need to respond in faith. But unconditional love that is expressed by Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 to 5 where Paul said he chose us in him before creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves you know that's an amazing statement in that passage 
that God chose us even before he did that massive civil engineering project, the biggest in the history of the universe, creating the world. He chose you and I to be adopted as sons and daughters. That is incredible, the unbelievable, unconditional love of God. So let me encourage you this morning and uh, invite you to take the elements that you have. If you've not received a cup this morning, just pop your hand up quickly so that we can make sure that we are able to have everyone participate. Um, Just over this side, Steve, there's one hand I see. Sounds like an appeal, doesn't it? Oh, yes, I see another hand. No. (laughs) There's someone just here. Let me encourage you to quietly remove the plastic from the wafer. Typically, as a church gathers for communion, it's a time of silence and reflection. (laughs) We have changed that a little bit. And I'm going to have a terrible accident here, I think. But it is a moment where we might just stop and intentionally reflect on what God's Spirit might be saying to us in this space today. Because we've spoken of some pretty deep stuff. We've spoken about the imperative of having very clear priorities, not only in our ministry, but even more broadly in life. Where we put our energy, where we put our effort, where our attention goes. We've spoken about the integrity that we are called upon to have as followers of Jesus Christ. And perhaps today God is speaking to you about that. And we've spoken about genuine love for one another. We come before God and give thanks today for Jesus Christ who came and lived all of these things. Jesus who had such a short time of ministry and yet prosecuted it with such clear priorities, who lived with obvious integrity, the one who never sinned and the one who loved, who genuinely loved. So let's take the wafer, the reminder of Christ's body given for us and eat together. And then the cup, the blood of Christ that has been given for us. Let's drink together in remembrance of him. Let's pray. Father, as we've sat under the ministry of your spirit today through the word that's been given to us, We want to pause in this uh, quietness, having just participated in communion, a solemn and serious transaction, to seek what your Spirit might be saying to us. Lord, it's so easy for our priorities to become scrambled. Just like standing in the middle of a paddock On a dark night and tuning a radio, there's radio signals that come to us from all sorts of directions, some loud, some muffled, some hazy, some fuzzy, some totally blurry. There's so many things that demand our attention, so many good things that demand our attention. Lord, our priority needs to be your priority and so we pray that you'd help us align ourselves to you in that.
broadly speaking, Lord, we pray that you would help us as your church align ourselves to your priorities. Personally, Lord, that our priorities would be a reflection of your priorities for us. Lord, we've spoken about integrity and we recognise just how easy it is in our world to compromise in this space. Father, help us not only to know what integrity is but to be people of integrity and may our integrity as your people be a strong witness, as your word says, that others might know that we are Christians by our love but also by our walk. And Father, significantly too, we've talked about the genuine love that you call us to demonstrate to those around us. Lord, help us to express that in the conversations that we have immediately after our service today. Help us to express that in the manner in which we might pray with one another for needs that um, are obvious or not so obvious that we're aware of or that we're not aware of. Let us be open to your spirit guiding us in that space. Lord, help us to be brave enough to ask what it is that might stop us from loving without conditions, to acknowledge our shortcomings in that respect. Lord, we would pray today that you would still our hearts. We ask that you would draw each one of us closer into fellowship with you. As we've participated in the sharing of this bread and this cup we do so in grateful remembrance of what you did for us on the cross God today we want to give ourselves afresh into your hands and seek your work to be done without hindrance in our lives and so sit here in dependence upon you waiting for your spirit to speak as you are giving thanks in Jesus name Amen